Um, when anytime that song comes on the radio, I promise you, if you see me in my car, I'm like jamming out. You know what I mean? Like some songs really get you, you know. And, and I'm sure people are driving by, like, man, what's that dude doing? You know, I'm in there. God is on a move. You know, I'm just, I'm just rocking it. I actually last night about ten o'clock, it came on. You know, when I was driving, and I'm like in a traffic jam, and you know, that's not my thing is traffic jams. And uh, and yet I was I was pumped up. You know, it was immediately set me in a good mood and mood and stuff. But that's a great song. God is on the move. As you know, we've been in in sort of a sermon series about God being on the move, in particular from the book of Acts. And so we've looked at looked at the book of Acts. I want you to turn now a little deeper into Acts. We've been hanging around the beginning, but now go a little deeper into chapter 17 of the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to... Unfortunately, we can't read uh, all of this for time's sake, but I want to focus in on really just a few verses here at the end of chapter 17. We're going to start with verse... 32. Um, and speaking about God being on the move while you, while you get there, uh, th- I've actually been on the move quite a bit this week as well. And so if you saw me hugging my kids and stuff over here, it's because that's the first time I've seen them, really. Uh, they were asleep when I got in last night, and I'm going to leave right after the service, really, uh, to go back to the camp and be gone all week long until the AIM annual meeting, which is this weekend. So pray for me uh, as, I'm, as I'm there. Pray for the students that are there at the camp, and also pray for our annual meeting. Uh, I'll be pre- I'll be preaching there that Saturday, and, and my wife Jessica, and, and all of all of us uh, as uh, as when Dad's gone. For some reason, they actually miss me. I, who who would have thought that? You know, actually miss me when I'm gone. But uh, and I honestly, um, I don't know if it's the more kids we have or the older I get, I miss them more when I'm gone. You know, uh, I really do. And so anyway, it's it's sometimes tough to leave. But I kind of remind myself that Methodists. I have always traveled to share the word of God. You know, I mean, that was kind of a Methodist staple was that, you know, they traveled by horseback, right? And so um, I traveled by horseback last night, 300 and something of them from my, you know, my, uh, my truck, right? I worked on that last night on the way home, okay? So at least you can give me a courtesy laugh, right? I thought of that one last night. I thought it was a cool one, but anyway. All right, so let's look right here. You're, you should be at chapter 17 now in Acts. And uh, just going to start reading here in 32 and go to the end. And just to give you some, uh, some context here, Paul had the chance to speak at sort of, the, sort of the Berkeley or Harvard of his day. And this is the Areopagus. Okay, this is Mars Hill. You may have heard of this before. And uh, so he, he preaches, and I want to focus in on the response to the gospel. Notice these words. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you that you are doing things in our world through your word. And so, Lord, as this word has come to us in this particular place this morning, may it settle in our hearts in a powerful way by the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is on the move. I want that to sort of just be ingrained in your head because it's true. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we doubt it. But it is absolutely 
true. The people around you, God is on the move in their life. In other words, everybody that you meet, God loves. They have their own world of love from God that He's pouring out on them. They may not see it. They may not respond to it. But it's there. He is there at work. And so when we join a ministry, when we serve the poor, when we do all the various things that we do, go preach at a camp, when we go share with a co-worker, when we go have lunch with somebody who is struggling and encourage them, when we send an email or a note or whatever it is we might do, pray in our closet for them. God is on the move in those actions that we're doing. We actually are not just working for Him. I want you to hear that clearly. We're instead joining Him in what He's already doing. He's doing the work. We just get to play alongside Him. Um, when I was growing up, you know, Dad would work on cars. And uh, I would go out there and help him, right? And so my helping him would really just be banging on you know, the rotor as he's changing the brakes, you know, ding, 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 like this, you know, and he's doing all the hard work and, you know, doing all that stuff to change the brakes and whatnot. And then we go in and I say, Mommy, I helped Daddy change the brakes. Now, did I really help him change the brakes? No. (laughs) I held the light at most, right? Um, Which is an important job, (laughs) but it's a very boring job when everybody else gets to do the fun stuff of changing the brakes and turning the screwdriver and all this, you know. Uh, But I still saw myself as participating in what my dad was doing in a very similar way, isn't it? The father calls us, his sons and daughters, to join him. And even though we're just sort of banging on stuff over here, hoping it works and thinking that we're doing a good job, he sees it as faithful. And he sees it as a participation in what he's doing because he's the one. Notice this. He's the one that has to do the work. We can't save anyone. Amen. That's, that's a really freeing idea. It really is. We don't have to save anyone. That's not our job. Our job is to point clearly to the one who can. Yes. Who is Jesus? So it's not all the weight is not on us. Doesn't Jesus say, Come to me, all you are who are heavy burdened, because my yoke is light. Because he's the one who's bearing the majority of the weight. But he lets us share in his work. Isn't that a neat thing? I mean, that's he lets us have the opportunity to use our bodies to be grace and forgiveness and mercy and encouragement to others. I would not be standing here, and this is not highfalutin language here, but I would not be standing here if it weren't for some of you in this room. I wouldn't. I would have given up. I would have fallen into sin and been swallowed up by the enemy by now. In particular, these two people right here and a couple of prayer warriors that I have here in the church that constantly remind me of what God has called me to do. You see, let me share something with you that sometimes is not shared, and that is, I doubt too. I went on a trip once with, uh, with one of my professors that was very influential in my own life, Chris Lorstorfer. 
And uh, he has a weird last name like I do, so his is way longer. And we went on this trip, and uh, you don't really get this opportunity a lot to have access to a professor, you know, especially in a hotel room. So, like, we actually shared a room because we were at this uh, Christian Holiness Partnership meeting. And, um, and so we, you know, I had the opportunity to actually share a room with him. And so, I, you know, I really looked up to the guy, thought he was awesome and stuff. Not that I don't think that anymore, but uh, I really thought he was then. You know, I mean, I was young and very influential, uh, influenced by him. And so we shared a room, and I'll never forget what happened that night as we went to bed. So, like, we both were lying down on our beds, and he, right before, you know, we were sort of, you know, just quieting down and everything, and he said to me, he said, he said, Marshall, do you ever doubt? Like, do you ever think just to yourself as you lay down at night, is this real? I mean, is it all this stuff we're doing, reading about, studying, preaching about, teaching... You ever just think, is this real? And so I kind of hesitantly, you know, said, yeah, I actually, yeah, I do. He said, I do too. And he turned over and went to sleep. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But, but I thought about that. And you know what? He was being honest with me. Here was someone who I was very deeply influenced by. Thought, I mean, just... Because when you see someone teaching theology in the Bible, you just think, man, they, they really got it. They, they don't ever doubt. They don't ever have hesitations, you know? But that's just simply not true. You see, a real faith, just like real relationships, always have doubt that's sprinkled in there. And let me share something with you. I have another teacher of mine who, uh, just through books, but is nonetheless a teacher who helped me with this. Here's what he said in his book, uh, Preaching in the Spirit. He says this, this is Dennis Kinlaw. He says, I used to think that the devil had built a special doubting mechanism into my mind. And that if somehow I could get it exercised, I could be a believing Christian. But, notice this, the same process that brought me to doubt also brought me to faith. He was doubting the life he was living. He was doubting whether or not secularism was it. He was doubting whether or not his way was the right way. So the same process, notice, brought him to faith, which was doubt. So I learned that doubt is simply a negative faith. The capacity to doubt is put into us by God because God hates delusion. That's powerful. Sometimes we suppress our doubts. Oh no, no, I can't ask questions in church. Now, if you came to the small group last week or this, you know, this past Wednesday, you were like, "Wow, this guy, you know, man." Uh, we talk sex in the Bible. That's quite a topic. Uh, if you've never dove into that one, but we have doubts if we're honest, even about each other, don't we? Even about those we love most, we have our doubts sometimes. It's because they're real relationships. I want a real faith. Not something up here that's a facade or a mask or playing a game. I never have been one for playing games. Not board games. Boring games. Don't play a boring game with your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have doubts, seek God. Doesn't He say we need to seek Him? You see, 
He's not playing a game of hide and seek. He's really not. It's us who can't see. It's us who are in the dark. Not Him. He wants to give us Himself. But we must be diligent and willing to be honest and say, you know what? I'm lacking faith there. Do you remember that guy that came to Jesus and wanted, wanted uh, uh, someone in his family to be healed? And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that all the time. Even this week, I had to pray this as I was at camp. Just being forthcoming with you. You know, I'm, I'm preaching, I'm sharing, I'm trying to, trying to point these people to Jesus. And the Lord's like, but is your heart really in this? Like, do you even have a burden for them? The Holy Spirit checked me on it. So on the ride of the home last night, you know, it was one of those conversations, one of those prayers. I'm trying to say that it's okay to have a real faith. All throughout the Bible, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, right? Where it's just a listing of one person who had great faith. You know what? They also doubted. Didn't we just read David? Don't you remember Abraham who lied? Who did what was wrong by going to Hagar? You see, the great people of faith also had their failures and their doubts. What's important is that we bring our doubts to God. That we seek His face and allow Him to work even within... Do you remember Thomas? He gets labeled Doubting Thomas. And yet, the church in India, I can tell you, traces their heritage to St. Thomas. We believe, as far as we can tell from historical uh, facts, that actually St. Thomas, after he believes... Because he, he's honest. He's, I think he was probably the most honest of the disciples, really. I mean, we give him a hard time, but I think others doubt it. Actually, you remember at the ascension, it actually says that they were there, the disciples were there, and yet some doubted. See, even the Bible's honest with it. The Bible's not a fake book. I want you to know that. Like Other books try to just be all crossing the T's and dotting the I's and making it look nice because it's not real. The Bible's a real book that's honest with us about Peter. That's honest with us about Thomas. And he was probably the only one who did say, you know, look, I don't believe this stuff, man. I mean, you guys are up here, but I don't think you guys believe it. And then Jesus comes and he doesn't... Do you ever notice that he doesn't like get on to Thomas? Instead, he lovingly helps Thomas. There's some in, in this room here who are also doubting certain things. Doubting God's love for them. Doubting the forgiveness that He offers. Doubting a calling on your life. That's okay. But don't leave it there. Take it to God today. Yes. And you know what? Take it to somebody else. That's, what he's, that's the way He's designed us. When I have doubts, when I have a problem like I was this weekend, I'm going to go to someone else and say, you know what? I need you to pray for me. Lord, I have faith, but help my unbelief. That'll be my prayer. Be, I'm going to be asking some people to pray for me that God would give me a burden for those I'm ministering to so I'm not just going through the motions. I don't have two cents for going through the motions. 
Let's be real. Let's have a real faith. And I think the world will see past any kind of faith. Paul had a real faith, didn't he? And he goes here to preach. And there are some responses to the gospel that I want to share with you. And I also want to give us really a way forward of how God can be on the move right here in our midst. Just like he was in Acts. So the first thing is, I want to say this, and that is, if, if God is going to be on the move, just like He was in Paul's life, just like He was all throughout Acts, I'm kind of summarizing uh, all the insights of Acts that are given. That is, we need to pray. Yes. There's no way around it. We, we, the Christian life is a life of prayer. You say, well, I'm not really good at praying. Well, you better get good. It's one of those things like, I'm not really good at eating. Well, you're going to have to do it, so you might as well face up to it, you know? <laughs> We were watching this guy eat at camp the other day, and I mean, he was just like meticulous. He's just doing it, you know, he's, he's got everybody just like staring at him just to be funny, you know, and he finally looked up and he's like, oh, what are y'all doing? You know, he's like, we're watching you eat, dude. I was like, man, you look like a pro. Look, you've been at this for a little while, you know? And, and the idea is this, we need to try to be pro at praying. God is calling us, I, I love this, and it's not um, original to me, but it's shared, uh, John Maxwell actually said it, God is calling us to be MVPs, most valuable prayers. Not players, but prayers. And He's calling us up to do that for other people. It's not just about us. My granny was 104, I think. We kind of lost count. Every year it was like, this is granny's last Christmas, this is granny's last Christmas for 40 years, you know? Lady lived deep into the hundreds. You know, we really don't know how old she was when she died. No, but, um, but Granny was, was just this prayer warrior. She really was. If you ever heard her pray, it was an experience in itself. You, I mean, you know, as a child even, when she prayed, like when other people prayed, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, and some people try to be all, you know, powerful when they pray. Granny didn't have to try to be. It was her heart that came out. It wasn't the words and eloquency that she brought forth in her praying, but instead it was her heart poured out. And you know why? It was because it was poured out for others. When Granny prayed, she would actually start sort of shaking and crying because she would always mention every single time I heard her pray. No matter if you asked her to do the blessing, which you wanted to be quick because there's so much food spread out there, she would break out into praying for the lost. And you know what? It's something that God checked me on recently. I can see her sitting there in that wheelchair and just grabbing my hand tightly and praying for those who don't know Jesus. It wasn't brought up tears to be fake and make us emotional. It was from her heart. You know that when she prayed, she had already been praying. That was a witness to me. It still is to this day, even though now she's with the one she was pointing to. And you know what? <laughs> I truly believe that she's still praying for the lost. You know, she would pray for me as I went and preached. And she would tell me that she was proud of me. Do you know how much that means? I mean, nearly 80% of the time when I preach, I'm thinking, I don't know why anybody would sit there the whole time, you know? And she said she was proud of me. Why? Not because of how talented I was. I was a noob at that time. Not that I'm not now, but very green behind the ears then. 
but it was because I was being faithful to the call of God to go. To just go. Remember that call of Isaiah, right? He's a young guy. And God calls him and he he hears this call that says, Who will go for us? Whom can I send and who will go for us? And he says, Well, here I am. Send me. What if that's our response to God today? What could He do at your workplace? What could He do in your family? What could He do in your neighborhood? What if, I mean, did you, did you remember the numbers last week? 165,981 unclaimed people in Madison County. 39,764 unclaimed in Limestone County. Put them together, 200, over 200,000 people unclaimed. That simply means, we're not talking about other religions and stuff like that. We're talking about they don't have a home. They don't belong to any faith. Don't you think there's a little bit of work to be done? Amen. In your neighborhood? In my neighbor? I'm talking to myself. Newbie plantation. That's where God has planted me. I better produce fruit in, in His field. I'm not in your neighborhood. I can't get to your work. You have to have a key card. Who would have thought it? funny thing I always tell people I'm like you know yeah I'm in the Madison you know Huntsville area and stuff and they're like what do most of your people do I'm like I don't know Um, well are they unemployed no they just have jobs that they won't tell me what they do you know (laughs) so no we need to pray and we need to pray like granny we need to mention those who are lost it needs to be on our radar it needs to be a burden that we carry She passed down that burden to me. And now I'm saying, I need you to help me carry that. I can't do it alone. God hasn't designed us to do it alone. Not only prayer, but faith. We have to have faith. In Acts, you're going to see people responding in great faith. They step out on faith, even when they don't understand it all. You know, people talk about, yeah, I'll get married when I have all these things in place. And I just kind of laugh. Because you're never going to be at a place where you're financially ready. Or, I'm going to wait to do this to have kids. I'm like, well, good luck with that when You'll probably never have kids because it's never going to be enough, right? You just have to sometimes do stuff on faith. And you know what? If God's calling you to do certain things, meet up with somebody, go connect with somebody in your neighborhood, invite them over to your house, be hospitable, encourage just do it. Just, just, just try it this week. I mean, if, if there's something specific that you that God has been really... Just try it. What's the harm there? Just step out on faith. People did in Acts and God rewarded it. Not only that, the sacraments are practiced in the book of Acts. All throughout, it reminds us through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, but also through liturgy. Liturgy is kind of a, kind of a tricky word for, for some of us. It actually uh, has its roots um, in the idea of order. And sometimes, oh, order is boring, right? I mean, think about how ordered creation is. Aren't our days ordered? And it's still fun, isn't it? Summer? Summer's a pretty ordered thing. Like the sun, the way the sun works. 
the way the days work. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Order is not just a bad... If you're an engineer, you should love order, right? That's what you base your whole career on is order. <laughs> I mean, you're just kind of organizing the order that's already there, right? So liturgy is important. You say, well, what is liturgy? It's what we do every Sunday. I mean, where's the bulletin? This is liturgy right here. It's an order of worship. And you ever notice how, how actually liturgy makes its way into all sorts of things in our lives? People dress up, people say certain things, people go to certain things where it's different. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me take, uh, let me take doctors, for instance, right? Doctors graduate about 27 times, right? You know, they go, I'm just, that's hyperbole, but, but they, you know, I went to several of Justin's things until I finally just stopped going, but uh, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I tried to be at all of them, you know. But, but you notice at graduations, people put on different regalia, different outfits. They say things. They prepare speeches. That's a liturgy. That's a tradition. Think about nurses. Nurses have this um, Florence Nightingale a pinning ceremony, actually. Isn't that right? And, and I've gone to this before with, with uh, um, Lauren... And it was a, I felt like it was almost a spiritual thing. I mean, this, this lady, Florence Nightingale, if you don't know, was actually influenced by Wesleyan theology. She was an Anglican, but she was deeply influenced by Methodism. To actually, her, her whole thing was to go, like your faith should actually be in action. So she did. And she created, I mean, modern nursing is, is basically named after her. Why? Because she had an order to her life. She ordered her life to the way that God was calling her. We all need this sort of order to our life. This is why in, in, in our church, right on the front of the bulletin, is, is sort of the order of the way we orient our calendar. It's the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. It's called Proper Six. And we're going to move through the... Ca- we're not just ordering our life by what's on the shelf at Walmart. You know what I mean? Most people watch for Walmart to see what's coming. Oh, Father's Day is here, right? Well, then, okay. Well, then here's the next thing on the shelf. We're not just ordering our life after Walmart. But instead, according to a heavenly, traditional, churchly, if you will, purpose. So we purposefully say the Lord's Prayer in unison. We purposely say the Creed together every Sunday. We do things uh, liturgically. And it's on purpose. It's actually on purpose. And this is happening in Acts. This sort of ordered... work. You remember even in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, there needs to be order to the Lord's Supper. You don't just need to be going up there, you know, busting in front of people and all this kind of stuff, getting drunk off the wine and this and that. You don't need to be doing that. Instead, so there needs to be order in worship. So I'm just simply saying that when you come into this place you're joining into something that is greater than you. That's what's happening at all these ceremonies. We go to weddings, funerals. That's what happens. Is, is there's something that was created before you were born, and it's something that's going to continue even after you are dead. We're being caught up into something that's bigger than us. Amen. Greater than us. And that's something worth joining into. 
putting on some nice clothes and saying some things that we wouldn't just say out on the street as we're greeting each other. It's important. And then lastly is membership in God's church and in His body. This is something He calls us to, to be members of Christ. To be adopted into a family. And then to find our place in that family. Now, as, as we come back to 17 here, the way I want to conclude is just simply by saying the three responses really of the faith um, and how it was, was seen here. And, it, and it's really very clear. The first response that you can have today to the Gospel, to these things that are offered to us, to help us join God as He's on the move, the first response to it is just to mock it. Oh, they're just doing a bunch of, uh, you know, superficial stuff where they're kind of like believing in Santa Claus, you know? And that's all belief in God is. He's not real. Just, but it makes them feel good, so they're doing it. I mean, people say that. That's mocking the faith. Or the second response is to desire more. Some of the people here, it says, we will hear you again about this. So you're going to meet some people that are going to mock the faith, mock what you're doing, mock the things of God. That's one response. But the second response is more positive, and that is, hey, we want to hear a little bit more about this. I'm not really sure about that. Let's work with those people. That's where some of us come alongside them and say, hey, Let's talk about some of these questions. The Scripture says that we need to be able to defend why it is that we believe what we believe. And then the last response is to believe. Notice, again, it says, but some joined Him and believed. So when we take the Gospel to our neighborhoods, to our workplace, to our families, to our friends... There's going to be all kinds of responses. Don't let that get you down. They responded to Jesus like that. They responded to St. Paul like that. And they responded to Christians for 2,000 years like that. Don't let that get you down. Don't give up on them. Keep loving them. They mock you. Keep loving them. You know what speaks louder than words is your life. Amen. When they lay their head down, pray that doubt comes in. Mm. Doubt about their life. Doubt about their certainty of their belief. And pray that the Holy Spirit then would bring clarity. And that they would stop believing a lie. So, let's join God by praying, believing, and participating in what He's doing. He's doing great and mighty things. And He's calling us. Even if we're just banging on the rotor, right? He's calling us to join him and says that, come on, let's do it. Let me, let me you know, it's just like, just like my little bow. I'll, I'll end with this. Every, every time I cut the grass, he gets his little plastic, uh, you know, weed eater. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, push mower, and he gets behind me. Now, is he cutting any grass? No, it doesn't even have a blade on it. But he diligently and faithfully follows me. Jessica can attest to it. Every single time I cut the grass, he's right behind me. And I'm pushing. And he's pushing. And it's just a picture, isn't it? God is the one who changes lives. We can't do that. Amen. He's the one who makes people holy. We can't do that, but we can follow Him. And isn't that all He's called us to do? Yes. 
We're not meant to be superheroes. None of us can be. Let's accept that fact and follow Him. And He'll clear the path. Isn't He the pioneer of our faith? The perfecter of our faith? So, bring your doubts, bring your life, and lay it before Him today. And He'll do amazing things that you never thought possible. Amen.